What's up, profitable public speaking listeners? Mark Cabrera, the podcasting coach here, helping people to launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts. And as public speakers, we all want to get on many stages as possible. And one way that you can get on more stages and grow your brand is by creating your own events. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about in this episode because our guest does just that. He creates his own events. More about our guest. He is the founder of Live For Yourself Consulting, uh, is a Chicago-based leadership and empowerment coach, national speaker, consultant, mentor, teacher, and passionate about guiding others in finding, creating, and sustaining greater meaning at work and in life. In addition to that, he is also the online instructor for the course, Craft a Job You Love from a Job You Have, host of the Live for Yourself podcast and Live for Yourself events, author of the Live for Yourself workbook and the essentials, creator of the Breakup Supplement and a freelance expert and writer. So as you can see, our guest has put out a lot of work. Among other things, he creates his own events. So our guest who joins us is none other than Benjamin Ritter. Benjamin, <laughs> welcome to the show. I just imagine a, a screaming stadium filled of fans chanting, Ben, Ben. I, I've never had that yet. So one day it might happen, but <laughs> I appreciate the introduction. It's, I'm very excited to be on your show. Well, Benjamin, I'm very happy to have you on Profitable Public Speaking because this is a skill that I feel like a lot of people underlook. They overlook. Um, a lot of people, they think, how can I get on more stages, filling out applications, building relationships? All of these are very good things, but you have the opportunity to create your own stage and that can help you get the speaking reel that you need to get on more stages. So I'm wondering if I could kick things off with, where do you find the space to organize your events? Like, what does that process look like? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a question I get from people that just come to my events because I, I will admit space complications have almost ruined some of my events in the past. Like, for example, I was hosting out of one space for over a year and a half, and then they came on some harder financial times, were growing too fast, and... Uh, they had to pull back and they changed their event policy. Uh, another space uh, actually changed their contract on me a week before. Another space who confirmed that they were going to have it actually never got the the person that actually makes the decisions confirmation. So a couple of days before I had to uh, utilize a backup space. Um, so finding a space that you can use that is going to not fall out from under you is incredibly important. Uh, I haven't even gotten to the answer yet, but I felt that was very important to say. Um, in terms of how do you find a space, uh, some of it is sweat equity. Some of it is emailing people, you know, 10 different event spaces a day, looking up co-working spaces, looking up event spaces, uh, trying to find spaces that are open to events. So even attending places that are hosting events and kind of seeing what their policy is. But other than sweat equity, I'd say I mean, there's, there's this one example where I've, I emailed a place probably like six times to no avail. And then I hosted a lunch and learn at a different space. And a person at the end of my event came up to me and said, would you ever bring an event to 
to MySpace. And I said, whoa, you know what? I've, I've been trying to contact them. I've sent like six different emails. And she's like, well, I'll make an introduction. <laughs> and lo and behold, after she made the introduction to no response, to then me pinging her again to make another introduction, she, uh, I ended up hosting an event there. Uh, so long story short, sweat equity, put in the grind, find co-working spaces, places that host events already, and then attend events and host. And while you're hosting other events, you can even ask people well, what other spaces might be available. And then once you create that relationship, which at times can be free. So if anyone quotes you a cost, you can usually get that space for free, depending on how flexible you're willing to be. Uh, nurture that relationship, honor that relationship, promote that relationship. And so there's a lot of different threads in what I just said. I don't know if you have any questions from that. I mean, co-working spaces, they're really great opportunities, especially if you could bring business-minded people because to a co-working space, the business-minded person, a business owner, entrepreneur is a potential client for them. So I've done events in co-working spaces in the past where I haven't had to pay a penny. Libraries can be good, but you can't really charge for the tickets or do a hard sell at the end. So there are definitely options available. Now, for your events, do you primarily stick with one location or have you branched out and like done them in like different states and other places like that? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's really important when you're hosting your own events that you know what type of atmosphere you want because you can also seek out those types of event spaces or even office spaces and try to make connections with people that are there because a space can make or break your event depending on how everything is structured. Um, so make sure that when you are reaching out to spaces, they fit the mold, they fit the kind of the personality of the event that you want. Um, I also think be willing to throw some money down and have some leverage if you can break even for your events. I'm, I'm of the opinion that you shouldn't lose money on your events, and I haven't. So if you know that you have ticket sales, you can, you can offer kind of a break even point to the event space or whoever chooses to host it because they also have people that are helping you out. Um, for, for my consistent events, so I host an event every other month and then um, I was hosting an event every month for a year and now I'm kind of evolving and adapting that one. I had set event spaces. Um, and funny, one of the event spaces that I use consistently now, probably for the past year, for one of my major events, um, the event space is actually owned by one of my speakers for my past events. So I built that relationship. I brought her in to speak at one of my events. I had her on a podcast. I followed up with that relationship. And then now she gives me a really good deal for that space based on that relationship. And the other events that I host, I actually have a variety of spaces that are willing to host one-off events. So they don't want to commit to a consistent event, but they're willing to host an event every you know, three months or every four months. So I have a list of free spaces that are in co-working spaces, that are in office spaces uh, that I can reach out to whenever I come up with a new event. And they're usually open to, to me hosting it there. And I mean, to be doing the amount of events you're doing at set locations, you can get the benefit of returning attendees. But for the initial events, especially when you're just starting out, one of the biggest things is getting people in the seats. So what are some of the things that have worked for you to fill up those seats and get attendees for your events? Yeah, you're hitting on the two biggest issues. One is space, second is getting butts in seats. I, I'd say 
that would help some butts and seeds is consistency. The problem is, is, is consistency. You have to actually start hosting those events and be prepared to maybe not have as many people as you expect. Another issue there, though, is that part of the value of these places giving you their spaces is the fact that you're going to bring in people. You know, I initially started hosting events thinking that I might get the attendees from these co-working spaces. I might get attendees that are in this office building. But to be honest, that, that doesn't happen. And that seems to be a pretty consistent finding across people that host their own events. So you have to be prepared to figure out how to market your events to the types of people that you want at them. Uh, I've tried ads. I haven't really felt that they were very successful. What I have found to be very successful for getting people at your event is posting on every single event listing page that you can find. Here's a sweat equity again. Um, bring it in speakers if you can. Not, you know, that's not possible all the time. But the more people you have featured at your event, the greater audience that you have the, the, op the opportunity to connect to. You can also, to, to that same point, if you contact sponsors, like product sponsors, and you can feature their product at the event as a free giveaway, then they will also promote your event. And then it's just finding maybe some brand ambassadors. So right now I have about like 10 brand ambassadors that I just give free tickets to my events to, and they will push my event through social media. They'll tell their friends. And if you think about it, if you have 10 people just coming in for free, so they're coming, and then they invite only one person, that's 20. And if you have three speakers and they you know, invite one or two people, now all of a sudden you almost have 30 people at your event, which is a very, very good number for an event. And I just like to note, so I also hosted a meetup before and I kind of tried to cross promote and I got invited to go attend an organizer's meeting for meetup. So they flew in trainers for meetup because meetup has an issue with engagement. They're having an issue with, with people actually coming to their events. They don't have an issue with people joining the groups. They have an issue with, with people coming to the events that are hosted, which can be an issue because it costs money to have a group on meetup. And the, the hosts were, were telling us a story of how the founder of Meetup, his first Meetup, no one came. And then he, he created a, a Meetup for his son's uh, big baseball team, like Little League team, and one person showed up. So part of it, despite doing all that, sort of like in terms of marketing and reaching out and literally sending messages to people that, that might want to come to your event instead of just doing event listings or creating partners and, and things like that, you have to just have expectations that people may not show up initially, but you need to be consistent and keep your costs low. Well, that's the reason why keeping your costs low and because people will come as the word spreads and as the quality of your event is high. And it's interesting you mentioned bringing in other speakers because I feel like some speakers, they charge others uh, will be happy to speak at your event for free. They get the uh, real and stuff like that. I'm wondering if you could explore a little more about um, how you get the right speakers for your events while keeping your budget in mind and also the agenda because uh, a lot of spaces like they don't give you like the whole day and you just have to, you only have like a few hours to play with if you're lucky. So I wonder if you could talk about incorporating other speakers in your events and how you get them. Yeah, there was a lot of trial and error. I'll tell you events went over. I don't host events longer than two hours that are, that are not like corporate workshops and stuff. So to fit even three speakers speaking for 15 minutes and have two sessions for networking, an intro and a Q&A, like that's a lot to fit into two hours. So initially I'd say, you know, understand that if you want to create like a really powerful event, 
It's going to require people connecting with each other and inspiring ideas and discussion. And so that can take a decent amount of time. So make sure that you are really planning your, your schedule according to how much time you actually have, as well as people don't have a very long attention span, to be honest, unless they're getting up and moving around and things like that. Um, so I actually, it's, I actually had like a goal for last year to connect with people that I wanted that were like at my peer level or above. And I had a really great like way to do that through my events. So I actually looked for people that I wanted to connect to personally, set up a time to meet with them. Or if it was a warm introduction, ask them to attend the event and set up a phone call. Uh, to, to potentially speak at the event and set up a phone call. But I narrowed down my search by looking at people that I really wanted to connect with that could add value to the theme of the event and that potentially speaking might add value to them. Either they don't speak a lot or they really like giving back. And so some of this was cold outreach, especially initially because I didn't have a big network. And some of this now is very, very referral based but I never paid a speaker. And so you have to think, you know, how am I gonna approach this person that is very established, that is very successful, and how can I bring them value? So instead of just asking something from them, you know, you could, you could speak to the opportunity that you might have and that you'd love for a chance to learn more about their work. And then you just get to know them. And if you think they'll be a good fit, you ask them. And if they're open to it, then great. If they're not open to it, then understandable. Now, that's not it because I've actually brought in some speakers that did a pretty terrible job. And so I've learned a lot about how to vet that as well. But I've been talking for a while. So before I get into that, do you have any questions? I mean, I feel like a lot of this is really good info because just doing your own event is a really big step. And then bringing in speakers because the speakers represent your event. Like if you have a bad speaker, that's going to reflect on your event. So, I mean, I definitely understand how important it is to vet speakers if you are going to go this route. So, I mean, I'm definitely interested in hearing more about how you vet speakers, but also how you get the speakers involved with promoting the event. Yeah, great, great follow-up too, because that's something that's evolved over time. And to note, like all of this has evolved over time. Like where I'm at now is very different than where I started. You know, the reason why I had poor speakers or the reason why I had to make a rule PCs only was because I was switching a Mac in between the middle of a PowerPoint presentation, you know, that, during the middle of our events. Or the reason why now I, I actually talk to the speakers ahead of time about what they're going to speak about, because I used to be pretty open-ended, tell a personal story, is because a lot of speakers struggled with that a couple of speakers. And when you have a poor speaker for 15 minutes, that can really affect your event. So the main thing is to be very organized and structured. So I send speakers kind of like once they confirm an initial bullet point list of everything that they need to be aware of for the event. And you may think you're being too detailed, but I'll tell you, they appreciate that organization because a lot of people hosting events are not very organized, do not keep things to time, are not very informative, and you want your speakers to feel very much a part of the event. And so now, to actually make sure that I get to know these speakers, not only do I have this intro phone call and sometimes a follow-up phone call to answer any questions, 
I actually host them on my podcast. So my podcast now is only the speakers that I have at my, my live event series. And so that allows me to get to know them for another hour, to learn more about their story, and to help kind of craft, craft their presentation in a way before the event. It also adds value to them because more people are learning about them and what they're doing and shows that I support them and that I'm on their side. And so those, those main things, being organized, being structured, being informative, talking to them multiple times, uh, really helps vet a speaker prior to an event. And I mean, just doing interviews is one of my favorite ways of just meeting new people. I mean, Benjamin and I didn't really know each other. And now we're doing this interview and now we're getting to really see what the other is all about. And if you do talk with people in this way and you're building relationships, you get a better idea of can this person provide value to my event? Should I ask this person to be a speaker? Am I making the right choice here? And then you think I could continue something with this person later down the line. So. Benjamin brings up some really solid points about how often you are interacting with the speaker before the event. So they really feel more invested in you. It's not just another speaking opportunities. I'm speaking at Benjamin's event, live for yourself. And it's just really incredible. Like I, I really feel like I like this guy rather than just not knowing the event organizer that well, or not knowing anything about the event or the attendees. Like it definitely creates a better experience for the event organizer and the speaker to really do the system that Benjamin just pretty much laid out for us. Yeah. And I'd say any speaker that almost gives off the impression that they're too cool for school, like, you know, they, I have once had a speaker not want, not, not want to do a podcast or, you know, I've had speakers not be very responsive. Those are the speakers that will cause problems. And so ask yourself there, you know, is this person worth it? There are so many people doing amazing things in the world and all you need to do to find them is do a search on LinkedIn based on your city for certain keywords or look up articles from your city based on certain keywords of the theme of your event and you will find a plethora of people that you can just reach out to and have conversations with. And I assume you're hosting events that relate to what you care about and what your values are and what your business might be about. So that makes sense that it's also an opportunity just to build your network, even if they don't become speakers. And it's interesting you mentioned about the speakers not being responsive because, I mean, you want a speaker to respond to you and stuff like that. So you keep the dialogue going. Uh, would you describe that as like you send an email and the speaker doesn't follow up with you? Or is it like the speaker should follow up with you and be reaching out to you personally to show they are heavily interested in your event? Like which way do you view that? Uh, follow-up point yeah are you asking in terms of like booking them initially or just after there's an interest just like after there's an interest and in the response level is it like you send them an email and they don't reply or is it like um you're waiting for them to reply to you yeah it's so most speakers are really responsive to emails and i only mean am i sending you an email and are you replying to it um you also have to decide like what your boundaries are for your events because I've had speakers that maybe just have a personality trait that they're kind of procrastinators and maybe they don't fully understand the seriousness of the event or maybe it wasn't really that serious to me, but they didn't have their slides done until an hour before the event. And what am I going to do? Am I going, like, so, so what are your rules? Are your rules going to be the speaker is canceled, which is 
an option or is your is your boundary that you know you accept it for what it is and you try your hardest to ensure that deadlines are kept and so you need to know that for yourself i mean i do like the idea of like it's different for each person and you just gotta be clear on if you are going to bring in speakers like what's your criteria going to be what are you looking for and just you know like does this person fit or not? I mean, even after an interest and uh, like, those are the things that you have to think of when you are organizing an event. And I'm wondering if you could share with us a little bit on how the events are profitable. Like, do you make a big profit from the ticket sales? Are you selling on the stage? What is it that is the key profit driver for your business with the events? Yeah, and I'd say your events need to have a purpose. Right? So are your events to get more clients? Are your events to make money? Are your events to promote a book? Are your events to create a community? And so what are the purpose, what is the purpose of your events? And knowing that ahead of time, there's, there's a really good book called The Art of the Ga- the Art of Gathering, I think it's called. And that's really the whole point of the book. You know, what is the purpose of the event you're hosting? Um, and for me, my, my main event series, the purpose is to create connections with opinion leaders, so that's the speakers, to make a stronger community of audience members, and to promote my brand, but not sell, if that makes sense. So I'm not going into my events trying to get more coaching clients. I'm not making a sales pitch. I am saying at the end, if you're interested in learning more about what I do, stick around, I'll have a conversation. But that's the last thing that I want to have as the brand of my event. So my events themselves break even. Sometimes I make a couple hundred bucks, but I'm not looking at them to make money. I'm looking at them to help me build connections, help me build a stronger brand. Oh, and also to help me build a relationship with product sponsors because a couple of my product sponsors have actually hired me to do corporate work. I mean, it's interesting, again, like you, you want to have like different criteria for each event and Benjamin's happy if he makes just a few hundred dollars, it builds his brand, it builds his credibility. Some people become his clients for that purpose. There's a lot of different ways that you can approach organizing an event, but the insights from this episode will really do more than just help you get started, but really set you up for organizing an event. I've done a few events in co-working spaces and Benjamin's advice is really spot on. So I would say if you want to organize an event, definitely go back and re-list it to this episode when you are getting closer to making some of those key decisions. But one of the things you could do in the meantime is continue to follow Benjamin's work if you enjoyed this episode. So with that in mind, I'm wondering if you could share with us, where can we find you on this vast web of ours and uh, some of the ways we could continue following you on your journey? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. And thank you for this. I've, I've truly enjoyed every moment of it. I'm not, I haven't, I think, ever really spoken about the intricacies of my events. And so this is a wonderful opportunity to kind of rehash some things. Uh, if, all, if any listeners want to learn more about me, they can go to liveforyourselfconsulting.com. Just like how it's spelled, live for yourself consulting. Uh, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn if you have a LinkedIn. If not, I'm also active on Instagram at RitterBenj, R-I-T-T-E-R. B-E-N-J. Uh, mainly spend most of my time on LinkedIn, uh, release some YouTube content here and there. Um, but if you want to connect with me, 
uh, just go to liveforyourselfconsulting.com and all the links will be there as well. Well, everyone listening to this episode, those links are in the show notes for anyone who wants to check out Benjamin and his work. But once again, Benjamin, thank you so much for joining us on the Profitable Public Speaking Podcast. It was such a pleasure to have you on the show. And thank you so much for having me.